So good morning, everyone. Good morning. So la- or two weeks ago, um, I feel bad because Scott started his sermon by saying that we as a staff give him the very <laughs> difficult text to preach. This morning, I get one of my favorite verses ever to preach, so I feel blessed, and, but I would like to say sorry, Scott, for <laughs> the, the short end of the straw that you don't get to pick that you were mentioning. But here's the thing, I do get to preach my favorite verse, um, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Here's a good thing. I hope that you guys get to feel how much I absolutely love the verse that I get to share with you. But the bad thing was, um, a lot of times when verses pop up, we just, we feel it, we love it, it really changes us, it transforms us like God's word does. But when you start going into a a deep research, you kind of are in the spot where you might realize that you interpret it incorrectly when you originally had that verse pop up in your life. So as I was doing the research, uh, you will find out later in this message that that happened to me as I was looking at my verse going, wait, have I been looking at this wrong like for the last 10 years of my life? And so I will let you guys know that. I will tell you more about that. Um, But I do hope that you do get to Just fall in love with this verse as I fell in love with it because this verse did really pop up in my life when I needed it the most. And what we've been talking about last two weeks was pain and suffering, pain and suffering that we all endure as Christians. And I just have always related to those two words growing up. And there's a part in my life that you guys will find out where, man, I I was so angry and frustrated with all the pain and suffering that I felt that I, uh, I just felt alone. I felt like my prayer life was at an all-time low where, I mean, I just feel like I didn't know how to pray anymore. And then the verse this morning came up, and it helped me realize something that I needed to hear, and that was that I was not alone, that I was not alone in my, in my pain and my suffering, and that I can endure because how much I'm not alone, which is Funny that this verse popped up because it, it is something that Jesus told his disciples in the uproom discourse in John chapter 14. The night that he was going to get arrested, he met with his disciples and told them that he was going to leave, but he was going to send a helper. It says in John 14, 15 through 18, it says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So this verse, when I needed it the most, or I felt alone with my pain and suffering, came up to me, and I realized I'm not alone. That I'm not alone, that we have the spirit. And and this is, uh, being in Romans 8, you notice that this, the Spirit comes up a lot. Like a lot, as, as us as Christians, we get a lot of information about the Holy Spirit in this. And what we've learned so far in Romans is that, that the Spirit bears witness that we are children of God, that we're fellow heirs of Christ who helps us not fall back into fear. And what we're going to find out this morning about the Holy Spirit is that he helps us in our weakness. So I want to begin this study at Romans 8 and hope that you guys can fall in love with this just as much as I do. So Romans 8, 23, verse 27, if you guys want to open it in your Bibles. It starts with this. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit 
grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So as I'm going to begin this sermon, I do feel like that I just want to invite the Spirit into this sermon. As we're about to talk about the Spirit, I just, I just want to make sure that we start with bringing him in. So will you guys pray with me? Spirit, this morning, all mornings, every day, just let me be your instrument. Let the words that, that you and I have wrestled with all week, may I pray that these are your words to the people here at Arbor, for the people watching online. And Lord, through your words, Spirit, I hope that, that we realize how much you do for us and how we're not alone in this world. And thank you. I pray this thing in your name. Amen. So I do want to prepare you for the structure of this, of this sermon before I fully jump into it. You know, at Arbor, we are so blessed with all the different types of speakers that we have that come on the stage with all the different tools that God has helped them just refine and be able to use for his kingdom. And it's awesome. And on Sundays, we really don't know what to expect when we get the sermon. So I do want to tell you what to expect today is in this sermon, because I loved doing the research, I'm going to attempt to do an expository sermon for you guys, which is, which means I'm just going to throw out a lot of information at you of all the research that I did this week. I just want to tell you as much as I possibly can. And hopefully through that information, we can come up with a point of why the Spirit even had this in our Bibles to begin with. So know that I will start throwing a whole bunch of information at you, starting with verse 23, if you guys want to look at it on the screen or on your Bibles. Verse 23 starts with, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So the first thing you notice with verse 23 is the word and, which means that right now we're in the middle of a thought that has already been happening. And this thought actually began with uh, Scott's sermon that he gave a couple of weeks ago, where Scott told, talked to us, shared with us about the groanings that creation have, the groanings that creation have because they're experiencing the sharing of the suffering that Christ went through. But Scott also shared with us that this groaning is actually a global groaning. I actually love how Scott said that, that it is a global groaning that we all are going through. Gro global groaning because creation has hope that it will be set free from bondage and obtain the glory of the children of God, but we are not there yet. So we have that suffering. So verse 22 is really where we need to start because verse 22 talks about the groanings that creation has. But what verse 22 says and what, he, what it does is compare the sufferings to that of childbirth, that there is going to be pain, that it's going to be really tough, but the, at, the end, at the end, there's going to be joy and there's going to be new life. And so that's what verse 22 says, that creation is groaning. But it's like childbirth, new life and pain. And then our verse says, but not only creation, 
but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for the adoption of the Son's redemption of our bodies. So that's where we're at. We need to know that context. Creation is groaning, and there's a global groaning. But we ourselves, inside, we have our own groanings. We have this eternal groaning because of all the pain and suffering. So he says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. Now, this word, first fruit of the Spirit, this is not new to Paul. Paul actually says this in 1 Corinthians 15 when comparing Jesus to the first fruits. He says, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, he says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And then three verses later, he says, but each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, after those who are Christ at his coming. So we see this word before, first fruits. And where this comes from, where Paul is getting this word, is actually an Old Testament tradition and a Jewish custom that we find in Scripture where the people of God were supposed to bring the first fruits of the harvest into the temple and offer it to God. And we see this in Leviticus chapter 23, and I'll read it to you guys. It says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So I love that, that metaphor of the Holy Spirit being our first fruits. Because we see in this text, it says that when we offer it, the, the priest will wave to the Lord to know that we are accepted. So this first fruit of the Spirit that Paul is talking about kind of goes back to what we learned a few weeks ago where the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, and is confirming and validating that we are children of God, that we have been adopted. So I love that word, like the first fruits where, where they give the first offering. But see, I love the word first because you don't usually say first unless there's more to come. And what this means, what, what it means for us is we've been given the first fruit of the Spirit, which means that there are more to come. Like that was our first offering, but then there's going to be a lot more to come later. And that's actually why we have the groanings that Paul writes here is because we get this taste of glory. We get this taste of what it means to be close with God, but we're not there yet. We have this like small little Costco sample that we just want the whole thing. We want the whole thing now, but if you're like my mom, she tells you that they're sampling it because it's the most expensive thing, and so you're not supposed to get it. <laughs> but we have this taste and we don't have everything yet. So there's this, this, this kind of frustration that grows inside of us that we want that full, the full glory. We want it so bad because of that pain and suffering that, that we may be feeling. So we have this nonverbal sigh. Believers have this nonverbal sigh of the tension that we live with in this present time. The groanings that creation shares. But see, what I love that Paul writes is it says that not only creation, but we ourselves are the first for the spirit grown inwardly, waiting eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. I love that line, the redemption of our bodies. Because what it means to me is that Paul doesn't overlook the body when it comes to the process of salvation. 
And I will tell you guys, why it means so much to me is, as long as I can remember, my body has always reminded me of how it's just not, not there yet. The, the glory is not there yet. As long as I can remember, there's always been something medically wrong with me. And I've shared this with a prayer team, I'll share it with you guys, and you've, throughout the time that you know me, you've probably heard all of these in little bits, but I will say it all at once. Like from the moment I was born, I was very premature to the point where I almost died, and my mom had to have an emergency C-section because I wrapped the umbilical cord around me too much so that I frayed the, the umbilical cord to where I wasn't being fed. So for like almost three weeks, I wasn't being fed. So even the start of my life has just been a, um, a medical pain and suffering. And then I've had asthma my entire life that um, this might have been fun to you, but if you guys ever did jogathons in elementary school, pure torture. I'm just running around for money while I'm having an asthmatic attack. <laughs> but whatever, whatever, the school's getting the money. Every time a jogathon came on, everyone was happy. I'm like, that's it's horrible. I can't breathe. But then growing up, more medical stuff happened, having asthma attacks like crazy. But then when I was in high school, I had something that the doctors thought was tuberculosis, which is a pretty bad, you know, disease. I didn't have it. Every test said no, but I showed every single sign of tuberculosis. And so that was awful. Then when I was 17 years old, I tore my ACL, and I think I've torn it five times every year since. Uh, out of nowhere, my junior, senior year somewhere, I uh, started having severe sciatic nerve pain, like severe. If you guys have ever had sciatic nerve pain, it is like the most frustrating pain in the world. Found out, like I had it for three years, three constant years of pain that I found out I ruptured a disc. I had no idea it came from the back because it was seriously like middle of my butt down to the base of my foot, just constantly in pain. And when you're in high school, you're sitting down for like six hours. It's like the most painful thing where I had to sit down with my legs stretched out and everyone looked at me weird. And no joke looked at me weird. You guys remember in high school, there's always those like most likely to do something, like most likely to succeed or, or best smile. My friends were having a joke one time because I didn't really share my pain that much with people. My, my friends were having a joke where they're like, oh, who thinks they have the greatest walk? And they're like, oh, Brian. And I was like, what? It's like, what do you mean the greatest walk? He's like, yeah, you walk like you're really cool. I was like, that's a limp. <laughs> so, like, what they were seeing was me walking going, well, you can tell by the way I use my walk. <laughs> that's what they saw. What I had was, ha, ha, staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was how much pain I was in for three years, had to have back surgery, and I'm on the five-year plan for colonoscopies, which is probably a little bit too much information for you guys. <laughs> but when I see the redemption of bodies, to me, it means the world. Because, like I said, every single day, my body reminds me of how it is weak and how I don't have that final product yet. And through that, guys, that is why I was so frustrated. And that is why... I just felt like I couldn't pray anymore because when I had all those pains, I just would pray all the time for a healing, for, for change. And to the point where I just felt like I exhausted all of my words to where it turned into groanings because I just had no idea what to say anymore. But then 
a song came up, and as you guys know, I pretty much speak in song. <laughs> but a song came up that I won't sing for you guys, but I will read the words. That when I, when I came across this in my 20s, it really, it really came when I needed it the most. And you guys might know the song, but it says, I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. Those words meant, as I was hearing people sing it, like I couldn't sing those words because I was feeling those words. <laughs> like it was, it was my life. And then as I was, that song was kind of changing my perspective, I also realized the verse that we're going to look at in verse 26 and 27 was pretty much my life verse at that time. But I do want to stop and say, man, that might be you in this room right now. Like everything that I was explaining that I was going through, that might, you might be feeling that same thing, that your body just is failing or you're just experiencing so much pain and suffering in this world that, that you just don't know what to say. That you do, you do have that taste of the Holy Spirit and that you do know that there's greater to come, but you're like, when is it? God, when is it? When is it gonna stop? And I do want you to know that you truly, truly are not alone. You got me, you got the global suffering. But what we're about to find out is you also have the spirit. We have the first fruits of the spirit. And with that, the verses, the next verse is we, we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemptions of our bodies. But then we go into that, it says, for that we have hope. That's what verse 24 and 25 says. It says, for in this we were saved. And now hope, or for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, all this comes back to the word hope that Scott led us to a couple of weeks ago. Hope that our groanings will come to an end. Hope that our suffering will be worthwhile. Hope to finally stop sharing in Christ's suffering and finally share in his resurrection. Hope. We have hope for our adoption, for the redemption of our new bodies. We have hope for the things that have yet to be realized. But see, what I love about our hope in Christianity is not like the hope like the world gives. You know, it's not like hope for a future that, we, we, that might happen. So, for instance, I hope that I get that new job. Or I hope for whatever team you guys voted for wins today. Or I hope that the Super Bowl party I go to has bean dip that doesn't spread sour cream all over the layer. Like a middle part is great because not everybody likes sour cream and it ruins the whole bean dip. <laughs> we see, our hope is not like that. Our hope. And especially this line, our hope is a future. It is future-oriented, but it also comes with assurance that we know what we hope for is going to happen. But specifically this line, guys, I love it because in this line, you can see past, present, and future all in one line. It says, for in this, in being present, we have hope, future, we were saved, past. For in hope, we were saved, present, future, and past. I love that, because I think Paul 
is appreciating what we have already experienced while pointing to what we have yet to recognize is going to come. And he's talking about presently what is happening in our life. In one line, I love that with the word hope. Future, present, past. For in hope, we were saved. Talking about what Jesus has already done for us, but we still look forward to receiving the whole, the whole gift, the whole, everything that we are working towards so much. So I love that he talks about that, and he talks about this, this hope that pretty much is the, the crux of Christianity. You know, we have this hope for something that we haven't seen yet, experienced a little bit of it, but not seen, which just keeps us kind of on the edge of our sea of really waiting for this amazing gift that's, that's coming. Because if, we, if we've seen everything, you know, what's the point for hope? But we have this hope for what is going to happen to us one day. The very existence of Christian hope shows that the full extent and the full riches of Christian salvation has yet to appear. Amen. Makes sense why there's so much groaning going around. <laughs> we want it so bad. But for that, it says, for that hope, in verse 25, it says that we have, we have, it, we have patience. We hope with patience. Now, most translations say, say patience here, but the meaning is not so much waiting for something to happen but more of an action of something that we are doing. And actually, the better translation for this is we hope and we are eagerly, we are eagerly persevering for it. Like it's not just sit down, wait, but we are actively persevering what Christ has for us. So it says patience, but I do want you to know that this word actually is not the same patience in the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Yeah. This actually is a different word. It is to eagerly wait persevere. But now comes the best part of this whole section that I, I, I that I've really just wanted to teach you guys. I had to get all this context in, but I'm going to the best part. And before that, I do want you guys to know why I love this best part. And here's the point. We are not doing this on our own. We're not doing this on our own. All this pain, all this suffering, our bodies failing every day. We are not doing this on our own. We have help. We have help when it comes to continuing in the hope. We have help while we are eagerly waiting. Because the reality is we are not there yet. We have not entered that glory yet. We have not ended our groaning. We have, creation's groaning has not ended and our inward groaning that eventually turns into an outward groaning has not ended yet. But God has provided us what we need to endure, what we need to persevere. And before I go into ours, I do want to read what Paul, how Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee." What he has given us is the Spirit. He's given us this guarantee 
that everything is gonna be okay, that first fruit, that taste of what is to come. That is what he's given us to help us endure. So now let's look at what the Holy Spirit does for us. We know we have it. We know he kind of lets us know, hey, here's something great, but there's something even better. But throughout everything that we're feeling, let's go to my favorite verses. Verse 26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I'm going to give you some encouraging, not encouraging words right here. It says the Holy Spirit helps our weakness, which is amazing. That's the encouraging part. Here's the discouraging part. He does not say he takes away our weakness. And I will tell you, all my prayers when I had all that pain was take this away. I didn't get that, but it did say he helps. He helps in our weakness. And I like that word help because the form of this word of help is actually used one other time in the New Testament. And it's with Mary and Martha. If you guys know that story, Martha and Mary were hosting Jesus and all the disciples into their home. And as it was getting pretty hectic in there and Martha was doing her best to try and host everybody. She notices her sister Mary at the foot of Jesus not helping her do all this. So it says that Martha in uh, Luke 10 verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, him being Jesus, said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Tell her then to help me. See, I love that example because Martha was seriously overwhelmed, had all this stress, all this anxiety. She put all the burden on her like she was alone in this. And all she was asking for was help. Now, as you know the story, Jesus said, what Mary is getting is actually better, and I'm not going to tell her to stop. But I love that, that the emotions that Martha was feeling, because I feel like we can feel that same way, alone, distracted with everything going on, and all we really want is help. And that is what the Spirit is doing, is helping us. He's helping in our weakness. He's helping us through the sufferings that we may experience. And another way that he's helping us, that we see in this verse, is it says, he's helped us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We do not know what to pray for. And as I was doing the research, I, I asked the question, well, how can that be? Like, how can we not know what to pray for, and I thought about back to my own life, where I'm like, well, it wasn't, I don't know what to pray, it was more of, at this point, I just don't know if I can do it anymore. But there are other things that happen in life where, where we maybe not know what to pray because sometimes we just don't even know what we want, or sometimes the thing that we want isn't what God has for us. For example, we see a great prayer that Moses had for God. Moses in De Deuteronomy 3 says, O oh Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or, no, or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land behind the Jordan, beyond the Jordan, the good hill country in Lebanon. If you guys know the story, Moses did not get to see the promised land. His whole generation did not get to see the promised land. So there's a moment where a prayer, he was praying, but he really wasn't know what he was praying for. And it, really, it did not line up with what God's will had for his life. 
And another prayer that we see, thankfully did not get answered the way that it was being asked, was even Jesus in the garden, who said, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but the great lime, but not my will, but yours. Again, I'm very thankful that God's like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna keep doing this. But we don't know how to pray for, pray for as we ought. But we do have help because it says the spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. My favorite part. Now here comes the issue. This is my favorite part. But as I was doing the research, I discovered that my interpretation might be incorrect. My whole life, or not my whole life, but my whole painful life as I was going through this. And I would actually love to hear uh, what you guys believe of this verse. But let me tell you how I always interpreted this verse. It was, before this week, it was that the Holy Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words, like it says. But how I read that was the Holy Spirit is groaning for us too deep for words. That the Holy Spirit's doing the groaning. If someone's like, well, Brian, what does that even mean? I'm like, well, there's a lot of things I don't know the Holy Spirit does. So, I mean, groaning's not that far-fetched. But I'm also discovering as I was doing this research that how other people translate it is that we're doing the groanings too deep for words and the Holy Spirit is like interpreting it on our behalf to God. And so as I was doing the research, I'm like, which one is correct? Because I'm about to go on stage and act like I know this in confidence. And so I started doing the research and what I discovered was the reason people disagree with is the Greek in this. And so I thought, hey, I took three years of Greek. I can, I can solve this problem for everybody. And we all get an understanding. So I spent four hours on this verse alone trying to figure out who is doing the groaning. And I did four hours and, you know, I, misery loves company. So I also invited Allison and Hayden into this discussion while I was trying to discover this. And, but then I realized that they didn't have a Greek background, so then I had to teach them uh, New Testament Greek, so we were all on the same level of who's doing the groaning, and I will tell you guys what I came up with. I can argue both ways, <laughs> absolutely both ways of who's doing the groaning. And as I was in my four hours, I just heard Scott's grandma, I believe, say that you suffer from need to know, and I was like, yes, I do. And in the end, which you might have already gotten there, but it took me four hours to get there, I realized it doesn't matter who's actually doing it, that the main point is the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. So um, that was great. It did take me way too long to get there. But if you got there, good for you guys. I just really needed to know the answer because it's my favorite verse. And hey, I might have been looking at it wrong this whole time. But the point is, whether we're doing the groaning or the Holy Spirit's doing the groaning, that the Spirit is interceding for us to our Father. Like whatever we're going through, whether our words, we just can't get them out anymore or what we're actually praying for isn't maybe lined up, that the Holy Spirit is there interceding on our behalf, praying for us. And see, like I told you guys, I love that because I couldn't pray anymore. I really couldn't pray anymore. And when I just felt that song that 
I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. As I, I started feeling that, and then I came across this verse. I'm like, gosh, I have help. It's not all on me. I love the way Douglas Moo puts it in his commentary. He says, as Jesus intercedes for us before the Father, guaranteeing our salvation, so the Spirit intercedes for us in our hearts, preparing us for that salvation. So that's all the knowledge I'm going to throw at you guys. And now we've got to figure out, what does this all mean? And here's what I come up for you guys. Simply put, been saying it this whole time. You are not alone. You are not alone. See, one of the big things I noticed throughout this whole section is the amount of we and the amount of us that Paul writes in this whole section, that Paul is even including it in himself, the pain and suffering, which makes sense because when he got converted to Christianity, Jesus says, I'm gonna show this man what it means to suffer for me. But I see the we, I see the us, and it just means we are not alone. Like Scott said, we have the global suffering. But as we look down at this verse where it says, and we ourselves have this inward groaning, a lot of times it can feel like we are alone. And I will tell you, I felt that so many times that, we are, that I felt alone, that nobody could understand the pain I was in. When someone just says, man, you were so rude, I'm like, I think you would be too if you felt like there was a knife stabbing your nerves. But I was just always just so frustrated because I felt alone, like nobody could, nobody could get it. And that may be you in the sanctuary that you feel alone. But I want to tell you, you're not. You have a whole sanctuary full of people here who understand pain and suffering. But more importantly, you have the spirit inside of you, that first fruit who completely gets what's going on in your life. Not only gets it, but is interceding on behalf of it for you. That whatever you're going through, if you're just at the end of your hope where you're like, I just can't pray anymore. Like, I cannot get the words out anymore. I just don't know what to say. It's okay. It is not on you too to know what to say. Because you have the greatest gift ever. Speaking on your behalf to the Father. So you can hold on to hope for the greatest thing that is going to come. And that is the redemption of our bodies, just the redemption of this world. So we can finally share in Jesus' resurrection. And guys, I totally believe that everything that we go through in this world is going to be worthwhile on this, in this world and the next. I do believe it's worthwhile. I, have, I truly have no idea why. I don't, I don't think it was God that ruptured my disc but I do love how the conversations that I can have with people who have had sciatic nerve pain, because I'm telling you, unless you have felt it, it is the hardest pain to describe what's happening. And I love that in my life, I can relate with people who do have that pain. I think Allison and Cliff and I talk about it almost weekly, <laughs> about the sciatic nerve pain that we had. I'm still trying to figure out um, the tuberculosis thing. I haven't related to anybody who's had tuberculosis, so... Yeah, without having tuberculosis. I'm still waiting on that one. But I do believe that everything we go through, 
will be worthwhile because that's what Paul says in Romans 8.18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So don't give up hope. Don't give up hope what is to come because you have help. You have aid. You have assistance in whatever you are going through. You are not alone. What a great gift, amen? Amen. Great gift. So what I want to do, I want to pray to that gift. And I will say that whatever I miss in this prayer, I do hope the Holy Spirit is interceding on all of our behalfs. The Spirit, thank you. Thank you for everything you do for us in this world, preparing us for the next. God, thank you for sending that gift. Jesus, you said that it's better for you to leave so the Spirit could come. And Lord, I agree. Because I don't know if I could have gotten through what I went through if it weren't for your Spirit and truly your people around me. So I pray for that for Arbor, that whatever, whoever is going through so much pain and suffering to where they feel like they're losing hope, Lord, surround them. Surround them with your presence and your presence with your people. Lord, thank you that we can come to you. And thank you that we have you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.